Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Today, our guest is Colonel Michael W. Wisman, who currently serves as Deputy Commander at U.S. Army Medical Activity Bavaria. Wisman is the author of Great Soft Power Competition, U.S. and Chinese Efforts in Global Health Engagement, featured in Parameters, Autumn 2021 issue. So first, I just want to thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here and interested in talking about your article, Great Soft Power Competition, U.S. and Chinese Efforts in Global Health Engagement. You wrote about soft power and how global health engagement can lead to more military-to-military cooperation training, help establish relationships that can be relied on when crises develop, stabilize fragile states, and deny violent extremist organizations space for recruiting and operations. Can you please explain global health engagement for our listeners? Yeah, Stephanie. Hey, first, thanks. Uh, I really appreciate you having me here. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about global health engagement because it really is an important topic. Really, as we talk about global health engagement, it goes by a number of different names, strategic health diplomacy, global health diplomacy. It really traces its foundings back to uh, 1978, Peter Bourne, who was working in the Carter administration, and he recognized really that medical diplomacy can transcend diplomatic barriers, it can open doors, communication. You know, you got to remember the context of the time, 1978, the Cold War going on. But this was an opportunity to sort of open doors and lead to glasnost and other ideas that help the world come around. With regards to global health engagement, you know, there's a few great entities out there. Uh, Bill Gates Foundation, Bill Melinda Gates, they donated $1.3 billion, I believe, in 2018 to global health engagement. Uh, a lot of that's spent in Africa. And while we like to think of global health engagement and helping others with health really as an altruistic process, we really also use it to leverage uh, U.S. interests, too. We use soft power, which was coined by Joseph and I a long time ago. We don't necessarily lean on coercive power to get our points across. More recently, the Biden International Strategy from March of this year really talked about health a lot. I think he mentioned it about two dozen times and advancing the global health security agenda, working with the UN and the EU and some of our partners over there. This also leads to reinvigorating alliances that may have dropped off over the last several years and reaffirming our partnerships with those around the world. So working on health as a common topic can open the door for lots of continuous follow-on efforts. So what part has the U.S. played to date in the global health engagement? Well, the U.S. has done uh, several things. I think anyone who's been deployed has probably had some interaction at some level or another with MedCAPS, Medical Civilian Assistant Aid Program. I remember uh, first doing those back in 2001 in Kosovo as a first lieutenant, going out and providing health care to villages that may not have had health care in the past, training some of their doctors to get them back up to speed. And we do that still today. We call that subject matter expert exchanges two decades later, where I might go speak with another ER nurse and we might exchange ideas over in uh, Senegal or something along those lines. Or a doc here might partner with a doc in Thailand and do an exchange. That's a great way to advance global health engagement. Another one is the Mercy and the Comfort. The USNS Mercy and Comfort are two hospital ships we have. They're about a thousand beds strong. And they've got a history of going all over the world. A lot of times they'll show up during relief efforts for HADR or humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. For example, the Haiti earthquake, the tsunami in Bondiace in Indonesia back in the early 2000s. Those are great opportunities for the U.S. to export global health engagement. 
Another great effort is the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, and they've got labs the world over. And a lot of those smaller countries, like for example, Peru, where they're studying infectious disease that might be endemic in the region. That helps us because we know if we need to go into an area such as that, we know what is endemic to that area and what we need to protect our soldiers against. Likewise, by partnering with those different areas, we open the door for master's degrees or doctorate degrees to U.S. universities. And a lot of times these labs are treated like a national entity, like a crown jewel almost in some of these countries. So there's great partnerships there. Finally, the last one I would mention is probably PEPFAR, or the President's Program for Age Relief. This made some significant inroads in the past two decades. It's been renewed by every president since, but State Department-led, not necessarily DOD-led. But a lot of the efforts over there in Africa in AIDS relief have really reduced the political instability by 40%, some studies have shown. Also, other studies have shown that there's a three-time increase in the UN Humanitarian Development Index scores. So really, we're giving people access to a better life. So they don't necessarily have to be driven towards violent extremist organizations where they might be subject to $10 to take pop shots at American soldiers. By providing that help and that foundation, we decrease the ability for violent extremist organizations to come in and to enter uh, the fray. China was a big factor in your article. What part does China play in global health engagement? No, absolutely, Stephanie, you're right. China over the past several years has been acting like a revisionist power that has global aspirations. They've been leveraging a lot of different tools that they have in their toolbox. They've been delving into the gray zone, which is not quite war, but not quite peace, where it doesn't quite lead the U.S. to war. They've used debt trap financing against other countries, forcing them into bilateral trade agreements, which definitely China leverages that powerhouse technology from economics and sort of enrolling some other countries. That said, that type of power is not China's only power. They are very well versed in soft power as well. You know, Sun Tzu had an adage about subduing their enemy without firing a shot. And that's sort of the approach that China has been taking as well. Now, they first established their global health engagement programs back in Africa in 1963 on the heels of the Algerian revolution. Since that time, they've been really exporting a lot of global health engagement. In 2008, they established their first hospital ship, the Peace Ark. Since that time, it's made the rounds. It's interacted with 180,000 people. And you figure if they've been interacted with 180,000 people, those people have told stories about China's hospital ship. And that's across 40 countries. And a lot of those countries, believe it or not, are in the Eastern Pacific, not necessarily the Western Pacific. They're near broad, but they're, they're distant. So as we talk about China's rise to global power, they're already in our hemisphere exploring that power and trying to influence others and build alliances. There were some recommendations and challenges to consider. What can you tell our listeners about these? Uh, of the COCOMs out there, the combatant commands, AFRICOM has really sort of done this right. They've got their State Department as a deputy sitting up there at AFRICOM. And of course, the USAID falls under the State Department. USAID brings a wealth of global health engagement opportunities and partnerships as well, the world over. So mimicking that across the rest of the combatant commands would be useful. Some interagency partnerships early in an officer's career, where an officer might be able to go over state for two years or go over to a different entity. I think building those as company-grade officers allow, you know, had I done that as a company-grade officer, maybe 15 years later when we have a crisis, I can pick up the phone and I can call Bob, who's now a chief somewhere over at State Department. We can make those connections. 
because a lot of this is relationship-based. Building these relationships now through practices and exercises allow us to use them later when it's necessary to save lives. Another one is making sure that we continue to project and brand that you know American goodwill. Again, the hospital ships are great venues to do that. We've just got to make sure that we're synchronizing efforts with other NGOs and IGOs or government organizations and international government organizations uh, or non-government organizations across the globe, not just necessarily the U.S. What we don't want to do is we don't want to pull into port, look like the ugly Americans, surplant what's there, and then leave and leave the country with a different expectation of a level of healthcare that's not sustainable for their providers uh, that are left behind to provide for the public. And then finally, the last thing, if uh, Mikey Wisman was in charge for a day, I'd say uh, we need to measure it. Obviously, anything that gets measured gets funded. To those ends, I would love to be able to put in place a evaluation tool that measures perceptions of the American military prior to global health engagement encounter, and then afterwards, maybe just uh, upon departure after three weeks of global health engagement, and then maybe six months later and see if we can sustain that. I think changing the perception is also tied to public relations. So that's got to be a big part of whatever we do overseas. Seems like a lot of good and power and collaboration. Yeah, you know, Stephanie, uh, there's great opportunities out there. I think there's already things in place. We just need to leverage them, uh, publicize them a little bit more and measure them. Thank you so very much. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.